tonight, turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter. And this strange, bizarre, uh, kind of fought over group of people, the 144,000. Now, I want to remind you that when you get to chapter 7, as we kind of take a little break here between all of these chaotic things, uh, this chapter is parenthetical. And what that simply means is it's bracketed on either side by the events of the tribulation. And here we are drawing our attention now to two very specific groups of people that will become believers during that period of time. And in doing so, we're really going to draw attention to to a couple of other things tonight, and I I pray that uh, you will take the information you'll glean tonight and be ready when those uh, folks that you know as Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door. Uh, I intend to arm you tonight with regard to that particular group. And again, they are one of the cults, and again, I'll call them what they are. They are one of the cults that also came out of Mormonism or out of Methodism uh, during the 1800s uh, and, and seized on to this whole concept that in fact they were the 144,000. And so we're going to be looking at them a little bit tonight. But as we do this, remember that there in chapter 6, there is a question at the end of it in verse 17 for the great day of his wrath has come who is able to stand chapter 7 is the answer to that question and so as you look at chapter 7 as we engage in this together we're going to put to rest a couple of things one is who are these 144,000 I think it's actually clear not just from how it's listed and who they are but from the very context because remember that the tribulation itself the principal reason for it is for the Jewish people to recognize finally Messiah. That they will come to faith in Christ. And so it makes perfect sense that one of these two groups that are mentioned here in chapter 7, the second group is obviously a Gentile multitude, and we'll get to them next time. But here it is very, very important to remember that the book of Joel gives us this incredible picture of the day of the Lord. And it specifically tells us exactly why the Lord is pouring out upon this earth the wrath that is to come. And if you want to turn there to Joel 3, that would be on page 806. Uh, in your, no, it's not on page 806 in your Bible. People ask me that. So they'll ask me what page number I'm going. Well, it depends on what translation you have and which version it is and how old it is and whether you've got a bunch of pictures in there or not. So. Joel 3 in verse 1, it says, For behold those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and I will enter into judgment with them there. And here it gives us the reason why. And notice the components of it. On account of my people, my heritage, Israel. Now remember, this is being written in 836 B.C. So this is nearly 3,000 years ago that these words were authored. Notice as it goes on and we continue, and it says there that I will enter into judgment on account of my people, in essence Israel, whom they, they being the Gentile nations of the world, 
The world has maltreated the Jewish people for millennia. Not a couple of weeks. It isn't just what's going on right now with Mahmoud Abbas. It isn't just what's going on with Hamas, Fatah. It is not just simply Hezbollah. It's not uh, Syrian-based ISIS. It isn't now the Russian Russian Air Force that's flying uh, over the land of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says, whom they have scattered among the nations. And notice the word nations there in this is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word ethnos. It, it means ethnic groups of people. In other words, it includes the entirety of all of the various people groups all over the world. And notice it goes on, and they have divided up. Notice whose land it is, my land. It's God's land. The land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob belongs to God. God has given it in obedience to the Jewish people. As they entered into the Jewish, into that covenant uh, with, with the Lord, they said, look, you're going to be our God, we're going to be your people. And he makes the promise to them that I will give you the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give you the land of milk and honey. It's yours. It's my land, but you get to inhabit it. So what does the world do? What do the ethnos do? What does the United Nations spend so much of its time haggling over? And that is, what should be done with God's land that he gave to national Israel? This tiny little country that that is so small that you could fit three of them into San Bernardino County. And yet the world is saying, look, you need to divide up your land. And so the picture here, the day of the Lord... And you can see that as you look at the first two chapters where they've divided up my land. They have cast lots for my people. Has not the world gambled away the children of Israel? They have been abused. They've been downcast. They've been downtrodden. World War II claimed in the Holocaust six million plus of the Jewish people at the time. Probably 80% of the population uh, of the world that were Jewish by birth were, were killed during the Second World War and have given a boyish payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. In other words, the world became drunk with trying to exterminate the Jewish people and divide up the land that we know as Israel. That's the actual reason that God's mad. Now, Counter to what people think, that's what's behind all of this. Because everything that you see, the, the, what was the enemy's initial plan? It was to destroy Jesus Christ, was it not? You, you see, Messiah, our Savior, is Jewish. And so it began at that time to wipe out Jesus. Satan's been mad ever since, and so the Jewish people have suffered an inordinate amount relative to their population of trial, tribulation, testing, persecution, even so much so that many nations today even deny that the Holocaust ever happened, even though we have movies of the the outcome, even though there are hundreds of thousands of photographs of what happened at Auschwitz and Birkenau. Those unbelievably horrific places of the Holocaust. And so God now is going to make good the promise that the Apostle Paul 
put forth in Romans chapter 11 and verse 26, in that day, one day, all Israel will be saved. The purpose of the tribulation is to deal with sin finitely, to take care of the inequity of national Israel, and to bring Israel to finally see the Messiah that they rejected. And so it makes every bit of sense that when we get to this parenthetical chapter, and God is now going to describe those who actually come to faith in Jesus during the tribulation, now you know why there is a massive undertaking of explaining that it is national Israel. It's the Jewish people, and the 12 tribes that remain are listed by name, and then it goes on to talk about the Gentile multitudes. And so this chapter then begins to unfold before us in a very different way. This chapter also does something for us that I believe needs to be spoken to, and that is it belies what we commonly know as replacement theology, that God is done with national Israel. There is no Israel. Israel was absorbed. If there are any remaining Jewish people that matter as far as God is concerned, replacement theology says they're simply been inculcated into the church. And now it's just the church that exists. Your Bible says that there are two different groups of people that God is going to really focus in on in the last days. One is the focus of the whole thing, which is national Israel. The rest are those that we would know as Gentiles. And so as this chapter unfolds before us, God's going to protect those two categories of people and all of those who believe in Jesus Christ in the Gentile nations. And so as we embark, let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord, we've come, again, just to study your word. Lord, we're simple people who want to study simply your word. And so, God, would you unveil your truth to us? Take these verses, Lord, from this page and implant them in our hearts. Lord, that we might know your great plan. Lord, you do have a plan for Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem tonight. Lord, we pray for the Gentile nations, those persecuted all over the world, Lord. We, we sit here tonight in safety. But there are so many people, groups all over the world that are suffering tonight simply because they call you Lord, because you have saved them. And so, Lord, we pray for the persecuted church. We ask that you would pour out your spirit, Lord, to guard them, guide them, direct them. Be with us as we study. We ask in Jesus' name. God's people all said, amen. Amen. Verse 1 here in Revelation 7. Now notice, and again, do not miss these words. Don't miss the therefores, the therein's, the, the becauses, and in this case, after these things. After these things. What things? The first six seals. So we're talking after the midpoint of the tribulation. This is what has now come to pass. Because you remember, the Antichrist will make a peace treaty with national Israel. They will rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. They will be allowed to worship in that temple. And now the enemy is going to break that treaty with national Israel. And as he does so, the enemy's plans are going to be unveiled. And so now the Jewish people are going to really see that this false Messiah, known as the Antichrist, will actually expose himself for who he actually is. And so now, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. 
And before you get there, uh, this is not a flat earth society meeting, okay? We believe that the earth is spherical. In fact, the book of Isaiah records for us that God himself sits over the circle of the earth. The Bible stated that 2,700 years ago. So when people say, well, you Christians all think it's, a, you know, you're flat earthers or whatever, you can just tell them, no, our Bible is scientifically accurate where it speaks to such things. This is simply a reference, by the way, that the National Geographic Society uh, used in describing the search for Mal- the Malaysia flight that was down. They said they went to the ends of the earth. So if National Geographic is okay using uh, these types of axioms, then I think that the Bible is okay doing that as well. Amen? Just saying. The four winds of the earth. That the wind should not blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living God. And so it's very clear that this is a different type of seal. This is a seal of the living God. You all, as we've already studied in the book of Ephesians, have been sealed by the Holy Spirit unto God. Amen? And in fact, you've been given the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee that you're actually saved. It's one of the things that we use in our lives to determine, look, this is what a child of God does because the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and of righteousness. Amen? So now you have this innate sense that, hey, this is not something God's pleased with and this is something that God is pleased with. We know both sides. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And so God is now going to seal these groups of people that he's going to go on to describe. And so having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and to the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees. He says, Look, you've been given charge to do that. This is why we know this is parenthetical. This is like God put a comma and said, okay, we're going to have something else happen right now, and then we'll get back to this in a moment. That's what a set of brackets does. It is a single thought that's in the midst of something else. And so here this thought is. Notice what it is. He says, don't harm the earth. You've been given power to do it, but don't do it just yet till we have sealed, notice this, the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so God is going to do something unique and something wonderful in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of the devastation, in the midst of what we know is the tribulation now going into the great tribulation, the final three and a half years of this terrible time, this final week of Daniel's prophecy, his 70th week, this time that will unfold that is the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob was always an identifier. His name was changed to Israel. Amen? So as his name is changed, he represents national Israel. And so God is now going to deal with national Israel. He's going to bring them to that place of being sealed. You see, you and I have already had it happen. But not so much for all of those that uh, we pray tonight would come to faith in Messiah would finally meet the one whom, as Zechariah declared, they would mourn the one whom they have pierced. And again, the Jewish people did not kill the Lord Jesus. You and I killed the Lord Jesus. He went to Calvary's cross because of Jeff Gill's sin. 
That's why Jesus hung on Calvary's cross. And for every other person who's ever taken a breath on this earth, the Jewish people are not responsible solely, completely, and totally for the murder of Jesus, and neither are the Romans. It was you. Christ would have gone to the cross for you. He would have gone to the cross for everyone in Iceland. You know, we, we, we sometimes look at the world and we break it up and it's like, well, those people are responsible. No, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? Amen. And yet he considered not the cross to be robbery, but willingly laid down his life. And so now these people are going to be sealed by God with this mark on their forehead. And I've always found it interesting that today as you travel, and, and surely when we board our El Al jet to fly to Israel in May, uh, there will likely be Orthodox Jews on the plane. And it's interesting because they get up to pray at the specific times relative to the time in Jerusalem. So you'll see them with their hat on, with their phylactery on their forehead, with the Word of God bound to their wrist, and they'll be over there you know, next to the, you know, one of the emergency slides praying. The Word of God. And we're going to find out in chapter 14 what that mark is. They're going to be marked actually with the name of God. So it's going to be very clear they're gods. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000. And would you please just look at this with me? All of the tribes of the children of Israel... We're sealed. It's a very plain statement. It's not mythical. It isn't meant to be allegorized. It in no way, shape, or form indicates that these are Gentile believers who have now been adopted into God's family. These are literal Hebrew people. And then if you don't get it from the first statement, you get it from what follows as all of the tribes are named. These are Jewish people. These guys will become the power evangelists of what is left of the rest of the tribulation period because they are going to be marked by God. And I'll tell you, because one of my dearest friends, if not my dearest friend on the face, he is my dear, I'll just tell you, he's my dearest friend on the face of this earth. My Hebrew attorney friend, Pastor Jeff Dorman, when, when you light a Jewish person on fire for Christ, get out of the way. Because they're complete. They got all of it. They got the heritage, and they have Messiah. So they're like on fire. Now imagine that your very life depends on you being an evangelist. Because what you're going to be doing for the rest of the time that the tribulation ensues is seeing how many people you can convince that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think they're going to have all of the Old Testament. You know, that's why the Apostle Paul was such an evangelist, by the way. He knew that God had spoken the truth to the Hebrew people from day one. He could recount every messianic prophecy. He would take all 485 tidbits of Jesus that are scattered throughout the whole Old Testament, and he'd be talking to them. That's why he quoted the prophet Isaiah so much. Says, Look, who, who do you think the suffering servant of Isaiah 52 and 53 was? So now, here comes these believers that have 
realized that Jesus Christ was in fact Messiah. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Ishakar, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. So 12 times 12, 144. That's completion times completion. That's all of the tribes times a number of completion. That's like done. Now people will often ask, well, is that all? No, it's not all. It's representative. But it is absolutely that there will be a literal 144,000. Will, will it be 144,006? I don't know. Will it be 144,000 plus another 5 million? I don't know. But I know there will be these specific 144,000 who are now going to be absolutely turning the world upside down for Jesus. And so in looking at this, we really have the saved and the sealed. Today God's people, Ephesians chapter 1 reminds us that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're going to see this, this principle carried out a couple of more times here in the book of Revelation. But you'll notice that the judgments of the Lord, which we've already seen, begin to unveil, which will continue as we get to the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, these things that are going to happen to the earth. These people are going to be protected from them. They're going to be supernaturally protected from them because God is still going to be doing business with a Christ-rejecting Jewish people persecuting world. Now, I will remind you, and we will be doing a New Year's Eve prophecy update. I'll just take all of the events of this last year. We'll put them together into a format, and we'll look at what Scripture says and what's going on. But I can tell you right now, Israel is isolated. Israel is alone. Israel has had its back turned on it by virtually the entire world. And and they have never been more in danger than they are tonight. Not since their founding in 1948 have they been more in danger and more persecuted than they are tonight. You have the Russian Air Force flying sorties over Israel's northern border tonight. And to give you an idea what that would feel like for us, you sit there, well, you know, they're, they're in Syria. Well, let me help you understand it in case you've never traveled to Israel. That would be the the equivalent of saying, well, they're in Santa Clarita. Well, well, those missions are being flown in Orange County. That's how close that is. In case you don't know, an F-15, F-16 can travel across the nation of Israel in a matter of a couple of minutes. So can those SU-30s, 32s, those MiG-29s, all of those can travel across the whole country in minutes. Israel's in danger. And God's watching. And he's got a plan to save national Israel. During that day of wrath, we're we're basically now coming in this particular chapter kind of to a lull in the storm. 
The four corners of the earth is, is absolutely not unscientific, so you don't need to look at it that way. I've already explained that to you. When you, when you look at this, this is a, another way of explaining the same thing that we would say, the, the four points of the compass, the four directions from which the wind can blow. We have east, we have west, we have north, we have south. For all intents and purposes, you can use them to simply describe direction. We happen to live on a curved surface of an earth, and so those things are actually gigantic circles. And, and yes, if you start east, you'll eventually come all the way back around, you'll be over here on the western side eventually. But all God is saying is, look, he's going to send this angel out to the entire world. Wherever the Hebrew people are, and right now the Jewish people are still scattered all over the world. Yes, many of them have made the aliyah. They've come back to to Israel. They've migrated back to, to the land that was given to them by God. But there are still almost as many outside of the nation as there are inside of the nation. So these Jews are going to receive God's mark. He's going to seal them and set them apart. And and as it's described here, I believe it's actually a picture that we've really seen before. There in Ezekiel 9, if you care to turn there, we'll look at these first seven verses. It says there in Ezekiel 9, God doing much the same thing. And again, remember that the prophet Ezekiel uh, wrote 2,600 years or so ago. So this is a long time ago that God said the same thing. And then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice, The prophet Ezekiel, hearing these things, let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon, and again speaking of angelic hosts. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate which faces north, each with a battle axe in his hand, one man among them clothed with linen, and had a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went and they stood beside the bronze altar, speaking of the righteousness of God there in the temple compound. And now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub, So there between the two cherubim, remember what rested between the cherubim. There in the most holy place, in the holy of holies, the high priest would go and meet with God. There were two cherubim, one on either side of the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and between those two angels sat the mercy seat. And there at the mercy seat was where God's presence dwelled. And it was there that the blood was shed. The blood was put on the mercy seat. And so this is a picture of God's presence with the people. And the Lord said, go into the midst of the city, in the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark, notice this, on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all of the abominations that were done within it. This is a type, this is a picture of the very same thing. This is God saying, As he said through the prophet Isaiah, one of the names of his sons literally means a remnant shall remain. And so these were the faithful people within the city of Jerusalem who did not cave in to the abominations of the world. And to the others he said in my hearing, go forth after him into the city. So he's releasing these angels and to kill. Do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. Utterly, I say to the young, to the old to the men, maidens, the little children, the women, but do not come anywhere near anyone upon whom has the mark. In other words, they were sealed. God took care of his people. God always takes care of his people. He has never not taken care of his people. Case in point, Noah and his family. Amen? It had become so bad on the face of the earth that God said... There is continual wickedness. 
but he saved Noah and his family. By the time you get to the Tower of Babel, much the same picture. God says, look, I'm going to confuse their language. God has always taken care of his people. And he has marked them as different. We have a mark on us. It's the mark of the Holy Spirit. And you notice where he said to begin, begin at my sanctuary. He said, you want to find out where most of the people are? I'll save you some time. Go to my sanctuary. Because people in my house, you should find some holy ones there. And so they began with the elders who were in the temple. And then he said to them, defile the temple, fill the courts with the slain, go out. And they went out and they killed within the city. And so this picture of God seeing those who are righteous, examining the hearts of man, taking care of those who are right before the Lord, and saying, look, I'm purging. And this is the very same thing that is going to happen, I believe, in the not-too-distant future. I don't know how the world continues on indefinitely on the current path that it's on. And so while these Jews are sealed, they're an elect people in the last days, uh, there's a special task that's been given uh, by God. And I, I believe, though they do represent surely what we represent in some ways, we are sealed by God and we are his redeemed people in a very vile world. Amen? We are. We're, we're different, man. When you go out and live the salt and light in the world that we're in tonight, when you live that way, people are going to be upset. They're going to be furious. They're going to get angry. They're going to look at you and go, man, what is wrong with you? You know, don't you get it? Are you living that old, archaic, biblical lifestyle? And you can say to him, yeah, that's exactly what I intend to do. I am a fuddy-duddy for Jesus. <laughs> some see the completeness of all of God's people here in this 144,000. There's, there's some reason to believe that that is a way to look at it in a general sense. But I believe these are nothing more and nothing less than actual Jewish people named by their tribe that God now is going to seal during the midpoint of the tribulation. They will be the ones that are going to go forth in the rest of the time and be sharing the gospel. What an amazing time that will be. I want to move on and give you a little bit of ammunition because uh, we happen to, there's there's a kingdom hall like, Well, I could throw a rock down to it from our house in Lomita. But you will probably, if you haven't, bumped into people who profess to be Jehovah's Witnesses, and they will come to your house, and they will try and tell you uh, that they are part of the 144,000. They have a little bit of a difficulty because uh, back in about 1914, they actually reached the first 144,000. And then they had to make room for another 144,000. They're on their third 144,000 now. Uh, and and you, you got them in several different layers, but I, I want to really just kind of speak to this issue because I've been asked so many times. One of the things that the Jehovah's Witnesses do when they come to your doors, they're going to use a Bible that only they use, that no other church uses. It's the New World Translation. And so when you take that New World Translation, what they did is took a good, solid, standard English version, and they literally changed it. And so Charles Taze Russell Uh, when he began to formulate what would be called initially the Russellites. uh, They hate being called that, by the way, so if you want to get rid of them quickly, just say, are you a Russellite? When when they began to formulate this doctrine that, that is God is not triune, 
that Jesus, in fact, that some of the things that they believe is that they're the 144,000. They deny the virgin birth. Uh, they, they deny the Trinity. They deny the bodily resurrection. They believe that the Holy Spirit is simply a force, not a person. They deny the atonement for all sinful mankind. They believe that Christ only, or the, the blood only atones for those uh, who are in the 144,000. And so to, in order to prove that, they had to come up with their own Bible. Because the one that you have doesn't do that very well. In fact, it speaks very authoritatively the opposite direction. So I want to give you a couple of things that you can look at just in case you happen to be talking uh, to a Jehovah's Witness. And so when you think of this, some of the changes that they made, and I'm using uh, just as a way for you to understand this, I'm using the New King James Translation. I'm very specifically using Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of Hebrew and Greek words. I'm very specifically using uh, a Greek-English New Testament, and I'm using exclusively Vine's Expository Dictionary, the most conservative most time-tested of all of the language tools that we have available to the average person today, which, by the way, virtually every theologian who calls himself a Christian would say, those are the standard works. What's happened with the Jehovah's Witnesses is they've done this. They've gone through and they've changed. Uh, uh, actually, they've made over a 1,000 changes within their particular Bible, and some of those changes are, as in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says there, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That's what your Bible says. Theirs says God's active force. That's not what it says in the original Hebrew. It says the Spirit of God. It says the Ruach Elohim. And so they changed that because they don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not a person. They believe that the Holy Spirit is a force. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, very familiar passage to you, and God said to Moses, I am that I am. And when he says that, he uses very specifically, I and I alone am and I alone am uncaused. He, he's making the case, there's none like me. And so when Jesus picks up this I am name, and he uses it and recorded in John's gospel, that's why the Pharisees, remember, picked up stones to stone him. The Jewish people knew that God alone had the name I am. And so they're in Exodus, I am that I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, because remember Moses' question, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? Who am I going to tell Pharaoh that sent me? Who is it that sent me? You tell him I am sent you. Jesus uses that name. In the New World Translation, it says, instead of I am, I shall prove to be. That also is an incorrect translation. Very subtle. But Jesus doesn't have to prove anything. He's God. Amen? That's why he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He was saying, I and I alone, God, am these things. He was making an equivalence to God. 
in Numbers chapter 1. And again, this is so you understand, when you're being talked to, they're using another version of the Bible, and that version of the Bible is incorrect. It's wrong. So just because somebody carries a Bible in, you don't necessarily know which one it is they have. So you tell them if it's a New World Translation, you said, well, could we use my King James, my New King James? Could we even use the NIV? How about the English Standard Version? Let's use something that's actually accurate. Numbers chapter 1, verse 52, and it says there, and the children of Israel shall pitch their tents in every man by his own camp and every man by his own standard throughout their hosts. That by this standard is changed to by this three tribe division. The Hebrew word there, degal, actually means flag. And so Jehovah's Witnesses, if you know anything about them, will refuse to salute the flag of the United States of America because they believe it's an idol. They changed it to a three-fold division. It isn't what it says. It says a standard, just like a standard, a flag standard. That's what it actually says. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, And these shall go away unto everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. Your Bible says everlasting punishment. Theirs says everlasting cutting off. In other words, they teach annihilism. That people don't go to hell. They're literally eliminated. They teach there's no hell. And then the worst of all is found in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen? Amen. There says the Word was a God, little g. So when you're talking to people about Scripture, you need to make sure that they actually have the scriptures in their hands. Amen? Be Bereans, family of God. So when they say to you, well, you know, we're the 144,000, you can ask them, well, well, can we look at my Bible and see what it says? Are the Jehovah's Witnesses right? Not hardly. They consider themselves the little flock uh, they're in Luke 12. But Jesus made it very clear that he was talking to his disciples. So that would be a real little flock and a very dead flock. Amen? I don't think any of them lived a couple thousand years, but I guess they could. In our passage tonight, the, these, these that are sealed, notice it says the tribes, and then they're mentioned by name. The reason that God mentioned them by name, it's like 12 times. He pokes you in the chest. Hebrews. Jewish people. Tribe of Asher, tribe of Judah. This is from Ishakar. So unless you happen to be of those tribes, and by the way, no one can prove, no one can prove, because the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Roman general who would become Emperor Titus destroys the Temple Mount. All the records went with him, so nobody can prove, but God knows where every last living, breathing Hebrew is. Amen? So why do you think the angels go out to the four corners of the earth to gather all the people up? Because God knows where every last one of them is. So in saying all of this, really what I'm trying to get to you is these are Hebrew people. God is intending to save the Jewish people. He's going to do exactly what he said 
Furthermore, when you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, they'll, they'll tell you that they're part of the 144,000. I would also remind you that they have falsely predicted the second coming of the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. Charles Taze Russell himself did it in 1874. It was done again in 1914. It was done again in 1975 that the Lord was going to return. So as you look at those people and they come, it's the reason that they have no joy. They've been wrong three times. You talk to them, it's just like, well, we're trying to work it all out. It's a works base, again, trying to please God. Look, your, your heart is wicked. It's deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? You are and I are. We all are all sinners who are saved by grace. Tonight, I am a, still a sinner who is saved by grace. Amen? Yeah. I, I'm a saint because Christ made me so. He clothed me with his righteousness. But I am not Hebrew. I will never be a Jew. I got German, English, Irish, Bavarian, Scotch. You know, I'm, I am so not anything that I qualify. Heinz 57 times 2. That's what I am. I, I don't even know. You know, I probably have, well, Connie's part, she's part Cherokee, Indian, and Cuban. So she's Native American and Cuban. You didn't know that about me, did you? You, you, you see, it, that God knows. Can you imagine trying to keep track of that for all of humanity? Sounds like a job for God, amen? And so what does he do? He says, I'm going to gather out of all of the nations of the world, all of my people. He knows where every last one of us is. And he surely knows where national Israel is. And so are there going to simply be 144,000 uh, that are saved? I hardly think so. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them they, he gave the right to become the children of God. And they get to adopt his name because of it. Amen? Okay, so John, 1 John 5.1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God is a child of God. Revelation 22.17, Whoever desires, let him drink of the water of life freely. Uh, Romans 8, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So, so there isn't some like club you need to join. There isn't an organization you have to be a part of. You have to know that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. That's what you need to know. Because if somebody tells you there's only going to be 144,000 people in heaven, then I would say to you that God is immensely unfair and unjust and unloving and unkind, and furthermore, He's a liar. So don't, don't get caught up. Be Bereans. The Bible exhorts us to put our faith in Christ, not in an organization. And in fact, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that you must be a part of their organization in order to be part of that 144,000, in order to enter into the kingdom. They're the new heavens. And you know what? It can't possibly be. can't possibly be. And so as you look and you think on these things, remember God has a plan to redeem out of every tribe and every tongue. We're going to see the multitudes when we gather together next time. There's no good reason to read into this passage anything but a literal rendering of a literal group of literal Hebrew people with Hebrew blood flowing through their veins. Because God's always planned that all Israel would be saved.
been his, that's been his plan since the beginning. Remember, Jesus came to the Jew first, amen? And then the Gentile. That's why he wept over Jerusalem. When Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives and he wept over Jerusalem, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, I would that you would come unto me, but you would not. I would that you would, I would gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. He's talking about Hebrews. He's talking about his own people. And so they now receive the seal of God. People often ask in, in this list why the names have been changed over time. Just so you know, when you look at Scripture, there's 39 different lists of the tribes of the children of Israel. There is uh, a, an easy reason to see why I think there are a couple of tribes that have, that have moved a couple of times. And I'll just give you the basic understanding of it so that you can look back at your Bible and go, there's always been 12. That's the thing that you need to know. There has always been 12. Uh, originally out of Jacob, there were two sons. Joseph was split between uh, his, his tribe was split, and so if you add in Ephraim and Manasseh, it gives you 14. So by the time you get down to the time that they're dwelling in their land, remember they came to Kadesh Barnea, and they're all wandering in the wilderness. They mess up. Moses doesn't even get to come in and inherit the land himself. They go back into the wilderness for a while, and finally they come with Joshua and Caleb to the edge of the promised land. They're now going to enter in, and as they come into the inheritance, the land is apportioned, as is recorded in the book of Joshua. Uh, when you get to the book of 1 Kings in chapter 12, the city of Dan was identified as one of the two cities where the two golden calves were set up to worship. The other was Bethel in the region of Ephraim. And so God, in his, in his marvelous plan, 100 years later, uh, when, you, when you finally read the, the outcome of all of that, uh, in essence, they're still worshiping the golden calf. And so God pulls out these two tribes and he basically says when you get to Second Kings chapter 10, those calves were still being worshipped. And so the tribe of Dan is not mentioned. Ephraim is only mentioned by inference through Joseph. If you take Manasseh out, you're left with the 12 tribes that you now have. And so there, there's the reason. <laughs> News you didn't need to know, but now you do. <laughs> People always ask, well, you know, there's the lost tribes. There's no lost tribes. Do you think God loses anything? There's no lost tribes of Israel. There are tribes that, just like you and I, have chosen to use their free will to sin. And so God says, look, uh, no, that's not the way that's going to go down. But by the time they finally get through all of their wranglings in the land, uh, God boils it down to these twelve. And he continues to just simply deal with those 12 tribes. And it becomes something that we just look at and we just go, God is so good because he is going to deal with national Israel uh, in a wonderful way. And so it really makes sense to me. And I will tell you this, when, you know, M.R. Dehan, the first editor, if you get a copy of Daily Bread, he was the original first editor of that wonderful little book. And he's the one that coined the phrase, if the plain, plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. And in this case, this is one of those passages, that both in context and in the actual words used, that these are Hebrew people. There are 144,000 of them. They're Messianic Jews. They're called by the Lord to witness. They're sealed. They are the fulfillment of Isaiah 43.10. They will be this massive cloud of witnesses during that time that will go out and they will reach the world for the cause of Christ. And so it's a beautiful picture of God's sovereign plan uh, being carried out in our world 
couple things that we can further see, and, and I want you to just notice here in the beginning four verses, notice what it says, and people often wonder, well, why would God do this? Well, he needs to get the world's attention. Do you remember the last couple of weeks when it was like abnormally hot by 10 degrees? You know, it was supposed to be 80, and it was 92, 93. I mean, there were people in Lomita with signs that, that repent for, for the kingdom of God has come, you know. I mean, it, 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 really, it was that hot, you know. Now imagine that God does something after these things. I saw four angels standing at the four corners, and they hold back all of the wind. The wind ceases to blow. Man, when you sit in your backyard... And, and you're back there and the sun's beating off of your house and onto your deck and there is no wind, it's like 100 degrees hotter, isn't it? So the wind is no longer blowing. And in fact, uh, the scientists at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, have done numerous studies with this regard. Uh, the last one, which was published in the 1990s, said if the wind ceased to blow on the earth for a period of about two weeks, that within that two-week period, the temperatures of the world would rise sufficiently that mankind without external cooling would begin to die off. That's in two weeks, just from the wind not blowing. The wind basically is the world's air conditioner because it blows across areas that have ice and snow. Uh, Our winds come from the Arctic normally. They're generated in the Arctic. They're warmed up over the ocean. So all of these winds are actually God's way of balancing the temperature all over the globe. And now God just says, look, you want it? You got it. I'm going to hold the winds back until this is done. And so you can imagine the world seeing this going on. And here's these Jewish people who are gathered from all over the world. And now it says Jesus Christ is Lord on their forehead. The world's going to take notice. Ever since these people started getting saved, the wind hasn't blown anywhere in the world. It's starting to get really, really warm, unable to support human life. Now add to this that we're going to see that there's going to be volcanic eruptions, likely nuclear holocaust, all those things happening, and you can easily see how God would now have the world's attention. It's like, okay, you want to keep playing games? You know, sometimes when you look at the world, you have to wonder, you know, why certain things occur. And I can tell you this, God does indeed use everything that goes on in the world at all times uh, for his plans and purposes. And so these things, as terrible as they will be in that day and time, these angels are going to actually be able to execute judgment, but God's going to say, look, withhold the judgment. Don't strike the trees. Don't strike the earth. Don't strike the sea. Don't harm anything yet. You just hold back the wind until I get done. And he seals these people to be his witnesses. And then he will allow them to do the damage that they're going to do. You you see, ultimately, Satan is is a loser. Amen? Amen. He's going to get his due. But God is so loving that he puts these little parenthetical pieces in place. He's allowing a, a huge one right now called the Age of Grace. Amen? That's exactly what this missing... Time has been. The 69th week of Daniel's prophecy there in Daniel 9 came to pass. And God just says, look, I'm going to give the, the whole world a break. 
And I'm going to institute salvation by grace and through faith. And that grace and that faith will be a, a gift from me to you. And all you need to do is just receive it and believe it. And so God is already showing us how he, look, my, my goal is to see you come to, to meet Jesus Christ. My goal is not to just simply destroy the world because I can because I'm sovereign. Some people paint God to be actually angry and mean in all of this. He's angry with sin, but he's not angry with people. He loves people. Christ died for people. From every tribe, all of the nations, people, the Jewish people, we gathered. And now they're all sealed. And it's this beautiful picture of how God is finally going to bring to pass exactly what he said he would do there in Romans 11, 26. Most of us can understand the seal. You know, it was, it was crazy. I don't remember exactly when it happened. It was, I think it was sometime in the 70s. But you remember that crazy person who, who chose to take a pill? I think it was a bottle of aspirin, and he actually poisoned them with arsenic. And back then, you remember when you could actually go to the store, and you could just literally screw the cap off of anything, and, you know, you could take your aspirin or your Excedrin or whatever, and, you know, you screw the cap back on. And then they put all of these adult-proof caps on them. They're not childproof. <laughs> Scientists are sitting somewhere just mocking us. We've created a cap that no one can get into. Well, they, they were a seal, and they're sealed hermetically. They're, they're closed up so that not even air can get inside of them. That, it's the same principle. This is unbroken. This is a seal. This signifies that this is what I say it is. These are my people. Sealed unto the day of redemption, just like you and I are sealed unto the day of redemption. There in Ephesians 1, we already saw in him whom you trusted and have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom you also, having believed, were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. That's you and me. The Hebrew people will have the same experience. They will trust in Jesus Christ, and they'll be able to walk in that newness of life just as we do now. And as we... Think of what's going on in the world. The Lord basically says to us, look, there's a day coming when all this is going to be revealed. But right now we're in that age of grace. And so I would remind you tonight, we're still in the age of grace. Don't miss that time of grace as you're talking to people about these things. These are interesting doorways that you can, you can kind of open up. Hey, have you, ever thought, have you ever thought about what this means? People are fairly interested in end times things. So you can kind of, you know, you can kind of go, hey, I was just studying it. You know, my pastor's crazy. And, and he shared with you, oh, can I tell you about this? They go, really? There's Hebrew people? Yep, there's Hebrew people all over the world. And God's going to gather them together. Matter of fact, you can tell them it's already happening. They're coming from Russia. They're coming from Ethiopia of all places. They're being gathered even now. And one day, God out of all of the nations will put his stamp. And unfortunately, those who have followed after the Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they thought they were in the heavenly band, but they're really in the earthly band. Uh, maybe they're in the servant band, you know, because they need more than 144,000 now. They're going to be really surprised. Good news is they'll actually still own Bibles that actually have the gospel message still there if they care to read it, and they can to be saved. It is the gospel. It is the gospel of salvation. And it is 
salvation to those who believe. Amen. God is at work in our world. Let's speed, let's hasten that time. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the power of it. And Lord, we do pray for those that are bound up, God, in in Jehovah's Witnesses. God, those that are just so joyless, believing they need to earn their spot in that first 144,000. God, would you set them free? You, God the Father, you, the Holy Spirit, and you, Jesus, our Savior. Love all of mankind. We just pray, God, that you would reach out through us. Lord, will we have the truth? Arm us with the truth, Lord, so that when people come calling, they, they want an answer for the hope that lies within them, in us, Lord, that we'll have it for them. And so bless us. Thanks for equipping us. Thanks for saving us. Thanks for sealing us, Lord. We ask tonight if there's anybody here that's never met you, Jesus, Lord, they've never put their faith, their hope, their trust, their eternity into your hands. God, they wouldn't leave this place without you. Jesus, we love you. We bless you. We honor you. We ask, Lord, that you'd send us out on a mission, God, to, to get busy about our Father's business. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.